Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Select Superior. I once again am Gloss and this week we had the incredible pleasure of interviewing the lovely Blair. So Blair is another Glasgow based DJ but he has also done a lot of stuff up in Aberdeen so you may be a bit familiar with him if you've ever been to any of the rare nights up there or any of the rare nights in Glasgow for that matter. But yeah we had a really good talk, we spoke a lot about how important it is to have a good support system as a DJ the creative process behind producing and just trying to make the best of your situation no matter where you're booked or how many people are there. So yeah, uh, I hope you enjoy and not to sound too desperate but if you haven't already, if you could give this a nice wee rating that would mean a lot. I mean five stars would be good but you know if you feel that strongly about it that you don't think it deserves five stars then that's fine too maybe don't rate it actually if you think that but yeah i hope you guys enjoy and i'll speak to you again at the end so hello everyone we're here for the second ever edition of select superior i am here with blair hello 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 how are you yeah i'm all right pretty tired but yeah Living, having a good time, absolutely thriving in today's economy. Thank you so much for talking to me, taking time out your busy schedule, DJing all about the place. So I guess I just want to start by asking how you initially got into DJing. So it's a weird one for me because I probably got my first decks when I was like 14 years old. But the reason that I got them when I was 14, I can remember, I think it was when like Toys R Us was a thing. I remember they had like a sort of adult section that was a wee bit, it was still for kids, but it was a wee bit more sort of upmarket and I can remember that I seen a sort of it was just like a two deck player and it was a CD just CDs only I can remember one year I was like really keen to get that and for uh, Christmas my mom and dad got me it and it was one of those ones I can I can't remember actually mixing at all it was basically all just happy hardcore and hard style and all that it was just pure I don't know I mean I'm still kind of into that music now that I'm laughing about it but I think at the time it was just basically used as a CD player for me and um, it was one of those ones I was always keen to do it, always keen to do it and then yeah I probably fell away from it when I was like 16 17 because I was just focusing on school and stuff like that but when I probably got to about 18 me and my mate Barry who runs a night called I Heavy is doing pretty well at the moment I think he's got broadcast coming up and he's been doing stuff everywhere with the top less guys and stuff in Glasgow but um, me and him started DJing started on a wee Newmark mix track pro free or whatever I think that's what everybody starts on so grabbed that and yeah from then just kept practicing practicing it's one of those ones I feel like I I watched that many YouTube tutorial videos that I've that was probably just mixing like completely out of my depth and mixing stuff that I didn't care about. But it was only really after that that I felt as though I started to get a bit of a rhythm. Yeah, I feel like um I get what you mean about like kind of watching the tut- tutorials and stuff. I like see when like you're starting out and it's like you like Google like how to DJ. Like I think watching stuff like that is quite intimidating. You start being like, oh fuck, I can't do that. Like I don't know what I'm doing. It's only until you actually kind of start doing it yourself and like making mistakes, you start to realize like all oh, like actually can't do this it's just like you know you need to find your own 
own wee rhythm and your own way to do it. I know. I just felt like at the time, you everything just seemed so regimented. And it was like, when you look at these YouTube videos, it's always like weird tunes that you have no emotional connection to, that you always think like, oh, if I mix this song by some artist that I've never heard of and this song with some artist that I've never heard of, I don't think you actually get what DJing is intended to do. It's meant to make you feel something about the music. It's meant to make you feel. And I felt as though until I was probably 19, pushing 20, I didn't really ever care much about what I was DJing, you know, that way. Yeah, that's it. Like, um, I think because you're just like, I don't even know how to explain it but yeah just like that's one of the hardest things about starting out in DJing is just trying to compile like all these tunes and like all this music that you actually like so until you get to that point it can be kind of um I don't know the words a bit laborious like a bit like it just feels like a chore just trying to like get to a point because I remember when I first like got a pair of decks and stuff and I can't remember what software I was using I think it was like Serato or something and I was just using like random tunes that I had they had like just like built into the software and I'm like I have no interest in like using that like I hate this like this is shit like why am I doing this yeah. but then like after a few years when like I kind of like got an idea of like what my sound was and I got an idea of like what music I like to play I was like okay I've like sorted this out a wee bit when was the moment we kind of thought like oh this is the type of music I like to play do you know it was a weird one because I think when I was growing up like I said it was all happy hardcore hard house it was all these like sort of more sort of bounce about sort of music but at the same time I would say that I grew up with my mum and dad my mum was actually really into all your clubland stuff and everything but my dad was a lot more into sort of jazz and blues and he, he liked disco from time to time and I think when I realised that I could incorporate some of my dad's music into like what I was into, because I'd always really been into disco, I'd always really been into people like that, but it was only when I'd started to listen to people like Joe Colosso, Pam's Tracks, probably people like that, that I realised that it didn't need to be this banging thing that you'd done every weekend. It could be something more enjoyable and you felt like you got a bit more out of it. I would say that's probably the kind of music that I lean towards more nowadays I mean it's always good when you're in a club to play an absolute banger and everybody going mental but I feel as though I feel more sort of I feel happier when I play a squeeze song for the 1980s <laughs> than I do playing I don't know a coach tune from 2019 do you know what I mean there's something that I think you it, without sounding too cheesy you feel like there's a history when you're playing it you feel like and you feel like people might not have heard this music you know that you know that if you play um Adesi versions pride Everyone in the crowd's heard that, but when you're playing an old school sort of maybe disco or like a sort of unknown edit of a disco tune, the disco tune that's sort of chopped and screwed, then I think that is for me what DJing's kind of all about. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's one of the things that you do have to kind of realise with DJing is that it's not about you trying to impress other people it's like trying to like find people that aren't impressed by you but like what you do like it's about finding your audience instead of like trying to cater to other people because if you do that then you're just not going to enjoy yourself like it's just because like you can play songs and like maybe like it'll reach a larger audience and people will love it but like if you're just behind the decks like I hate this like I hate these tunes like I don't want to do this then like it's just not going to be fun yeah i think one of the about this sounds like a kind of weird off kilter thing but one of the sort of changing moments when i realized that djing wasn't all about just playing banging tunes all the time i mean what i'm going to say is a banging tune but in a completely different way but i seen a um instagram video from optimal this was probably in like 2018 and they were playing at a big nice summer festival somewhere and uh, they finished with rain and blood by slayer and i it's one of those ones where People in the comments were loving it. 
And I was like, it doesn't need to always be dance music. Like people know that a lot of the tunes I play, it's not like I've like, I always finish with weird songs and I always play sort of weird. I don't mind playing like rock songs in the middle of sets and stuff like that. And I think that like you were saying, it can turn people off, but without sounding too high and mighty, it's like if people are willing to get turned off just by one song, then they probably shouldn't be in a nightclub because for me, nightclubs where you go, for instance, when I went to Subclub, when I was like 17, 18, growing up around the scene, subculture was the big deal. So like when I was sneaking into Subclub when I was 17 and I was doing all these things, you went on a Saturday to hear music that you hadn't heard before. I feel like now there's a weird divide between people wanting to go out and hear songs that they've heard. But for me, that's never been the case with clubs. You go out and hear tunes that you've never heard before. You want a but you want to be turning to your mate and going, what is that? What is that? Who is who is that? And you're searching and you're doing that thing. I don't do it anymore because I feel like my DJ pals would kill me. But you used to do Shazam in your pocket <laughs> and stuff like that. And so that used to be me when I was like, when I was growing up. And I feel like I've carried that into DJing. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I just don't like that kind of, these kind of people are a bit like quite puritanical about it, where they're just like, oh, I want to hear these tunes like this. And like, what is that? Like, I want to go out and hear stuff that I've never heard before and like actually like get my phone and be like down like by my side, like kind of Shazam <laughs> yeah. on the sly like that. Or like I've pure, like when I've been drunk, sometimes pure bold, like actual notes up, like what song is that to the DJ? <laughs> but that's like the good yeah. thing. Like people asking like, what is that? What are you playing? Like, because like then you can like, go on this pure deep dive rabbit hole like looking at a whole new type of music or like a different DJ you might never heard of before and then you're like oh my god like how have I missed this this whole time and like yeah the same as well like obviously DJing like most of it has to do with dance music but it's quite exciting when you hear a song that isn't kind of in that sphere getting played like I remember not that long ago like when I was working and I can't remember who's playing it it's gonna really annoy me but um they're DJing and I was watching it and like they, they like closed with um along the watchtower by Jimi Hendrix and it was like wild but it fitted so well and it was like so nice just seeing everyone in the crowd just kind of like just really get into it like they just like they, they loved it and it was just like so nice seeing you just realize like the whole point of like DJing and like performing live is just like getting the excuse to kind of experiment with stuff and just like seeing how the crowd reacts like that's one of the funnest things about it is just seeing how the crowd will react to what you're doing yeah I think that like um so optimal probably come up quite a lot in this conversation the optimal have been the one sort of stable thing from my growing up that I've always been really interested in. I used to always go to their Boxing Day parties. I used to always go to everything that I could get to. And I can remember I seen a video and it's the most grainy footage ever. And it's from like 2000, I forget when it was that they finished their Optimal Sunday parties, like their residency and sub club. But their last night was called Optimal Geddon, right? And that was like, they, they brought in extra speakers and everything was like a big deal. And they finished with Fleetwood Mac, The Chain. And everybody went nuts. Like everybody was bouncing <laughs> off the walls and going crazy. And I can remember, and I mean, I'm just going to say this, an exclusive for your podcast. I absolutely ripped it um, straight from them because see, <sighs> the last gig I played before I left Aberdeen, it was quite important to me. It was at Bohemia. And it was basically like a Blair leaving party. Everybody knew that I'd been in Aberdeen for three years. I'd done quite a lot and um, sold out. And the one more tune was The Chain. And I've got videos on my phone that I know for a fact that I'll look at in five, ten years' time and it'll still make me smile because I knew that in that moment, everybody that was in that club was interested in hearing something that they maybe hadn't heard before. 
Do you know what I mean? Something that, I mean, they'll have heard the tune before, but something that they didn't expect to hear in that environment. And that is just a banger as well. Like, that is a proper, like, when you hear that, it's like, oh, shit, here we go. Like, the build up and you're like, yes. But I think I remember, like, I think when I saw you play at Lucia, like, at the end of last year, like, when you were playing with Kirstie, I don't know if it was your Kirstie who did it, but you was close with a Fleetwood Mac song as well. I feel like that's became a bit of a staple yeah, for you It was the now. same song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I was a bit... I'm a one-trick pony. <laughs> It works, but so it's fine. <laughs> so I meant to ask as well, like, are you have you always been like musical or were you just more into music? I think I've always I like I feel like I've always been creative. Like when I was younger, um I used to really be into graffiti. And that, that used to be like a big thing in my childhood, running about and doing whatever I've done when I should probably shouldn't have. But um that was always a big thing. I felt like there was a load of different ways that I tried to bring my creativity out. The first one was graffiti, and then after it, it was obviously DJing, and then it wasn't very long after I'd started DJing that a big thing for me was I want to learn how to produce. I just, I felt like, the, in my head, the only DJ that I knew at the time that had sort of manoeuvred getting on stages without producing was Jack Master. And I was like, he's the only person I know, I mean, obviously he's brought out songs now, but at the time, I was like, he's not put out any songs but everybody knows him as being one of the world's best DJs. So I was like, eh, it's not great odds. I'm like, I should probably try and learn how to produce. So then um, Sugar Studio, there was the, I got involved with the Sugar Studio crew with Simon Stokes and stuff. And I'd done their online course. And then, yeah, from there, I've just tried to, it's when I, whenever I feel, I feel like whenever I'm in a good uh, headspace, I always kind of go back to producing and trying to be a bit creative. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you this later, but we can uh, talk about it now. I was just going to, because I know you do produce a little bit, and I was just wondering, like, what is kind of like your creative process for like when you are making new music? It's weird because I'm one of those people when it comes to creating music that see if I sit down and it sounds like you read, you hear people talking about some books and it's, but there is such a thing as like a flow state. Like, see when you sit down to do it, see if you feel like you're prying it out yourself and it's not, and you're like, oh, does that kick drum sound good? And you go through 75 kick drums before you sound, and you're like, ah, it kind of sounds okay. The difference between that kind of song and a song where everything just fits into place and you feel yourself, like obviously I'm in my room right now, see if I know that a song is good. I'll be pacing about this room. I'll be standing in my bed. I'll be like, does it sound good up here? I'll be stoking about my, my entire room. It's like, when you're on the phone to somebody and you end up walking and standing on things and doing all that, that's like what I'm like, if I've got a tune through the speakers, I'll get my flatmate through, but does this sound all right? Does that sound? But um, yeah, as, as soon as you get into a rhythm, I think with producing, it just becomes good. And, it, and rhythms can last, like I've had periods where I've made two or three songs in two, two days, but then there's been other times where it's took me two months to make a one minute clip. Do you know what I mean? It's weird how that happens. I think it all just comes back to your mate, like your how you're doing in your head and how you're feeling and stuff like that. And but yeah, yeah that's why maybe I'm not as prolific. <laughs> so like um how would you like describe your music that you make? I think if you listen to my first tune that I've released, my first tune's called Model. And um for ages this this sounds bad, but it absolutely killed me that for this song, it was the most basic song I'd ever made, right? It was honestly a four on the floor hi hat there was a vo- there was a vocal in the background that said something about models i don't even know and um it it was uh, like it was pretty shit like now when i looked at it, it was pretty shit but see at the time it got like thousands of views and i was like brilliant i'm fucking i'm going to be a headline in subclub i'm going to be doing all this and then i think the longer that i was at it i realized that right that's shit but 
one thing that bothered me is I released a few tunes in interim. So like I'd thought I'd released a tune called Watching Seinfeld, right? Which is hilarious, right? But that's private now. I'll send you it, but it's private. And the reason that um, I released that was because I, I, it was breakbeat. I thought I'd done all these like chords. I'd done like strings. I tried to make it like really produced. It got 50 views. <laughs> and that was after the one that was four on the floor. And I felt like it was, it sounded like one of the tunes that you were saying in Serato that's already loaded <laughs> up for you but um once I, I i kind of went through a wee bit of a lull like i think a lot of people go through this where they're like do people want to hear like you want to make tunes that you like but then if tunes that you like don't get the recognition that you feel that they deserve it can put you in a bit of funk and you're like mm-hmm. what's the point in making tunes that's why if you look at my like if you look at my soundcloud i think there's two years between two of my songs because <laughs> I just felt like every tune that I was making, people were like, yeah, it was good, but Model was really good. I'm like, Model's fucking the worst <laughs> song I've ever heard in my life. But I mean, Your it's still a person with loads of views. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that is just a thing, like not just for like producers, but just for any creative is like, you can't predict what people are going to like. And that's kind of the frustrating part about it is because if something that kind of does really well but maybe it's something that you don't really enjoy yourself or something that you didn't think was your best work but it does that well you're like do I stick to that or do I like sell myself out just so I can get more likes like I think that is like a pure struggle is like trying to find that kind of yin and yang of like what people like but also like stuff that won't make you want to like cry into your pillow every night because you hate what you're doing have you like made any stuff recently so I've got a I'm kind of sitting on a um, Travis Scott edit that I've done and it's like a sort of garage number. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I was really interested to see what like interplanetary criminal Bluetooth, people like that, like these sort of speed garage producers that were coming up. I was like, I really like that sound. I go through different, I feel like I've always been into more sort of left field music. Apart from disco, I've always been into either more sort of left field kind of music. And um, when it came to like interplanetary criminal and stuff, when I seen that, I was like, I want to learn how to make something like that. I was like, it's it can't be that hard. Tried to make it myself, very hard. And then what I realised was, I was like, right, I'm going to go back to 20, 2018 Blair and go on a YouTube video tutorial. So I went on it. I found one that was like, how to make an interplanetary criminal song in 10 minutes. I was like, ideal, that'll suit me. Went on it, got the idea for it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And um, I made a song first. You always, I think when you go on these tutorials, you always make a song that sounds exactly like the first song. And then you realise you're like, right, this is what I can do differently. This is what I can. So yeah, right now I'm kind of sitting on a Travis Scott edit that I quite like. I've had really good feedback on it. Loads of people like Lowry. Lowry sent me a really nice message about it. and He got me to send him it because he wanted to play it at his nights and stuff like that. So it's been, yeah, that, there's that. And then I've got a few tunes that I released probably in the past year on Bedroom Tracks. And um, yeah, both of them done. That was what I was going to say. See, when I was saying about how that model song got loads and loads of views, what it didn't get was loads and loads of likes, right? But see the tunes that I released with bedroom tracks, both of them, like as soon as I put them up, they've got quite a lot of views or whatever. But I realised that the ratio from like to view was so much higher than model. Like models get the same views as them, but probably has about a third or a quarter of the likes. I found that really interesting because it made me think that after being in that creative funk for a while, just thinking, oh, that's a joke. Everybody likes shit music and I love great music. I was like, <laughs> I realised that that probably wasn't the case and that there's like, once you get in a sort of groove, like it's cool. See on, um, see when you release songs on Spotify, no, on SoundCloud, one of the big things that you look at is it's in loads of playlists, which I find cool. And some of them are like belting songs, absolute <laughs> belters. And you're like, ah, oh, that's nice. That makes that, that gives you a smile. Whereas model, I'm like fucking 
it's in one of my playlists called shit tunes <laughs> i'm gonna put that in there just so people can hear it and they can <laughs> say for themselves what they think obviously you're saying how you listen to certain producers and you're like oh that's really good and that very relatable thing of like looking up how to make this song like remember when I first got able and I was looking up like how to make an Aphex twin song like that's like something you can fucking recreate but whatever <laughs> would you say that your your like production kind of reflects your listening habits yeah probably I would say one of the weirdest things that has happened to me in the past maybe year or two I'm still obviously addicted to club club and I love going out to clubs I love club music but I feel like now I can separate the two of them where I don't maybe listen to as much dance music is what I used to see when I was in Aberdeen and I felt like I was I was trying to make the most of my situation and I was like right I want to be a DJ I want to be yada 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 I feel like at that time all I was doing was listening to dance music everything was dance music how this happened I was going home downloading it now I feel like I've, I'm kind of split into two camps one all I listen to is like punk and hardcore music which is pretty funny but all I do is listen to like punk and hardcore maybe some folk music I'm really into the Pogues and the Dubliners and stuff like that and then I can go for listening to I don't know the the Wild Rover by um the Pogues and go straight into listening to some new mall grab tune that's unreleased that I've found in SoundCloud you know what I mean it's I think but I can sort of do them separately now whereas I would say when it comes to dance music it's always been more left field it's always been I like bass music if, if you know so Bohemia and Aberdeen that's that kind of ran by Matty Gault also in Rare and uh, it used to be a guy called David Henderson that took a lot to do with it so David Henderson he goes under Mod R he runs a record label called Meld so me and him we made a few songs together I think one of them one of them got released on an EP on uh, Give Me A Break Records and yeah the kind of music that he's always been in he's always been the sort of person that I'm like right if he's into a new thing then I'll probably got to be into that new thing we always talk to each other every single time he'll send me he just sent me a jungle edit of a Kendrick Lamar tune that he done it's fucking banging it's one of those like he, he sent me it and it, there was like tells you the views down the bottom and there's like four people that have viewed it and I'm like oh my god he is sitting on some he's sitting, I don't know if he's got the money to fucking buy the rights to a Kendrick Lamar song but <laughs> I feel like I've always been into sort of more left field and sort of a wee bit different because I feel like when I'm in a club, like I was saying, you want to hear something different. You don't yeah. want to, there's, there's only so many times you can hear Lude's Love is Real before you're like, right, I've heard <laughs> I've it. I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean about how your music taste can quite vary. Do you think like maybe you can use some of those kind of influences in your music? Because that's what me and Chris were talking about in the last episode is how she'll produce, but then her flatmate who does like trad music and stuff like that, like how they can kind of work it together and like use different aspects from it to kind of make the best music they can. So do you think you'd ever do yeah, that? Yeah, nah, like, nah, no, 100%. I think if, if, see if you were to look at my sort of private songs on um, SoundCloud, a lot of them are like from, it's one of those ones, I kind of went away from disco edits, but see some disco edits that I've tried to do like kind of differently and you'd like break beat parts out and stuff like that. They're all like tunes from like Sparks and uh, Squeeze and all these like, weird sort of I don't know if it's fair to call squeeze and sparks niche but they're like sort of weird ish bands that don't really get spoken about a lot these days apart from well sparks just had a documentary out by Edgar Wright but um there was more of a like cult that, following yeah yeah and it's I think one of the biggest things for me was I feel like I'm happy that when I started producing beside me right now I've got my keyboard I've I used to have a TRA. I've had the whole IRA range basically. I've had monologues. I've had corgs. I've had everything. And I think I really like the hands-on. I'll never let go of my MIDI keyboard because I like the idea that if I can, if I want to key something in manually, I can do it and I can do all these things. And I feel 
I kind of learned how to play the keyboard a bit. I can kind of piss about in the keyboard and it can sound okay because I know what sounds okay and what doesn't. But yeah, I feel like being able to be really hands-on with the music and do things like that was probably the biggest change when it came to me producing. So I know you're based in Glasgow now, but where are you originally from? So I'm originally from, see if you keep going east of Glasgow, there's a place called Bells Hill. It's just like a wee sort of industrial town. Um, probably what, I think there's like 12,000 people in it or something. It's pretty small, but um, yeah, just pretty small. Was there basically all my, yeah, all my life. I think we moved into the house that I stayed in when I was like one. So yeah, basically all my life I've stayed in Bells Hill. And then you moved to Aberdeen when you were... How old? So I moved to Aberdeen when I was 21. So I'd finished school and my grades weren't that great. So I was always planning on going to uni uh, to do politics, but um, my grades were not up to maybe university standards when I left school. So I'd done a few years at college, um, failed one of those years at college, obviously. And then obviously just after I turned 18, I started to get out, failed that year. But yeah, moved to Aberdeen when I was 21, when I got accepted into Aberdeen U. So why Aberdeen? Did you just think it'd be a nice wee move away from Glasgow? I mean, that would have been the perfect story to tell, but it was more that I didn't get accepted for any other ones. But at the same time, it was weird because I never get accepted for any other ones, but Aberdeen's one of the highest ranked in Scotland and they offered me second year entry. Yeah, so, so who's laughing now? Like, they must have seen something <laughs> in me. Aye. <laughs> so like, how was the kind of music and DJing scene there for you, moving up there? Oh, it was, honestly, it was the best thing I've ever experienced. I've the like I've said this a million times, but I, I can't thank Rory Masson in Rare and Aberdeen. Obviously, I DJ for Rare now and um, Glasgow, but I can't thank them enough. For the moment I moved up, so I moved into a, um, what I thought was halls, just expecting it to be everybody getting pissed and everybody having a good time. But I ended up moving into halls that were on campus. So all the people that were in my halls were master's students, and a lot of them didn't want to deal with a wee 21-year-old that was buzzing to be in a different city and just want to get steaming all the time. So I can remember one of the first times, as soon as I moved up, my dad was like, just go through and talk to people. I was like, right, cool, go through and talk to them. Went through, they were sitting in the living room, I went through, and I had a crate of like Budweiser. And I was like, right, put it on the table, and I was like, uh, I would, do you want to get a drink? And they were all like, nah, we're busy. And they all just went into their rooms. And I was just like, oh my God. I was so gutted because I was like, in my head, I was like, ah, oh, university, you just get pissed all the time and maybe turn up to our lecture every once in then. But yeah, the, the big change that came was, is that I'm guessing most people that listen to this will know who Test Press is. So it's Dan and Fraser. Um, So I'd messaged the Test Press page because at that time I was kind of following a load of different pages in SoundCloud. And I seen that in their bio, it said Aberdeen. So I was like, oh, I need to just, I need to just be wise and just say to them, I'm like, look, I'm a DJ. At this point, I'd already, in Glasgow, I DJed in Buff Club before I moved up. So I was like, look, I'm a DJ. Um, it would be cool to get involved with whatever you're involved with in Aberdeen. At this point, I'd never heard of Rare. And he was like, well, a guy that we know runs a promotion. We can't promise you any DJ gigs, but we can get you out and about. We can get you sort of seeing people and stuff. I was like, perfect. And he was like, message this guy. He's called Rory. And I was like, cool message Rory and um, I was like is there anything you can do like is there anything and what he done was he made me a PR which at the time I was buzzing out my nut I was like I've, I can finally escape this dodgy dingy flat I'm in and actually go hang about with people that share similar interests with me so first few times doing usual leafleting doing all that sort of stuff 
And then at a certain point, I started hanging about with a guy called Josh Halliday. So Josh, um, at that time, stayed in a house that was quite big. It was called Spittle. And there was a few times when we were sort of doing flyering that would be like, right, we'll just pop back into his house. So we would sit in his house. All these flatmates at the time, steaming, whatever hour I went in, it could be midday, and they were just blotto. I can remember that me and Josh kept hanging about, kept hanging about. And then it was coming to a weird point in Rare where a lot of the people who had been there for years, so they took on a lot of DJs uh, when they were in first year. So people like Dan, a guy called Milo, uh, Kieran Donaghy, all these people that like people don't know if, if they were around at the time. They were, had all been brought in in first year, but they were all hitting fourth year now. So Rory didn't really have any DJs that were lined up. So he basically just took, what, it must have been like five or six DJs in at the time. So and three of the DJs that he took in was me, Owen Davies, and Josh. So after that, we started DJing all the time. We were DJing in tunnels. We were always getting the warm-up slots because the older guys were still kind of getting phased out. So we were always playing warm-up slots. We were always doing whatever. We were the most keen beans you would have ever met in your life. We were like, oh, we'll do this bar gig. No, you don't have to pay us. I'm like, oh, are you sure we can have a drink for free at the bar? Like, it's not a big deal. And we'd done all that, kept going, kept going. And then we started to get the headline slots. And then when we started to get the headline slots, we were like, Josh, you've got quite a big gaff. We could just, like, we could maybe, we'll have a wee afters, we'll do that. So we started having afters at the gaff. But then when it sort of turned a bit mental was when Rory got sort of wind of what we were doing. Rory used to host the biggest after party in Aberdeen at a place called 530. It's a house he owns. I don't know if I should be saying this, but it's a house that Rory owns. And he used to host the, like the biggest after party. It's been wrote up in Vice and all that. This after party, people for Jordan Shore and the only way is Essex used to go. Fatma Yamaha played a live set and stuff like that. Like it was a big, it was amazing. So all of the people that stayed in that place were like, um, moving on they'd all finish uni they were doing different things and then Rory was basically like right I've done my I've done my time of doing fucking after parties now you just need to step up so bear in mind I didn't even stay there but I was like one of the guys like yeah I'll, I'll carry on the mantle like I will have after parties at this gaff that I don't actually want <laughs> so we started throwing parties in there I remember we done like a boiler room-esque thing where we like blocked all the windows off. There was no spaces between us and the DJs. There's loads of pictures there. I'll send you some of them after. And um, the, we were having like 300 people in a, in a house and we had sound system, like big jungle sound systems. Like you couldn't see one of the walls for the sound system. It was it was one of those ones. It was men, old neighbours would show up who would go through room to room, try to find a sober person to go talk to the person at the door and we, were, we would just grab some wee stupid fresher and just be like here just say this is your gaff and you'll turn it down because oils are absolutely minced <laughs> and then um we done all that and then after a while of throwing all these spittle parties it was brilliant like we had big garden parties where we had parachutes over the garden and stuff it was brilliant and then we'd obviously been playing all them we'd been mark blair had been there ketama had been there like all these people i think special request was maybe there one night after all this by the way on talking about ketama being there I was like, when I was kind of doing interviews for Project Radio, I came across a Ketam interview and I was like, I should probably start reading these interviews just to be like, and uh, somebody said, what's the best party you've ever been in? He was like, there was this house in, in Aberdeen that I ended up at like <laughs> five in the morning with these wee guys. I was like, yes, I was one of those wee guys. But um, the, I, that was good. That was when Ketam hadn't really released it. And that was when I was talking about Meld earlier. Meld had booked him. And this was when he'd, I think it was like, probably even before raw cuts and all that like this was like proper early early ketma and then once we'd kept doing parties and kept doing parties at spell we were just like do i just make our own night that'd be a laugh so what we'd done was we were we basically done it 
so that we knew that people always wanted to come back to Scotland were like, right, people are just ripping the past now. People are doing things like there was doorknobs ripped off. I remember somebody ripped off a doorknob and come up to me like, oh, look at us, I've got a doorknob. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then um, there was like footprints <laughs> in the ceiling and all that. It was a dive, like it was turning into a dive. <laughs> I think that the people who stayed there were getting a bit like, right, this is a good laugh, but it's not a good laugh when we have to clean up the next day. So we were like, right, what we'll do is we'll try to get them involved somehow. We'll do spittle selectors. We'll get the three DJs that have kind of always been together. So that was me, Owen and Josh, and we'll get a night in the go. So we started doing residence nights. I can remember, was it the big, we, the first night we done was called the Big Basement Bash and it was in like a wee hundred capacity venue. We got all our mates there, back to Spittle afterwards. That worked for a wee while and then we were like, we'll just go for Tunnels. Tunnels is like quite a big venue, do you know what I mean? Tunnels is bigger than any venue. It's probably about the same capacity as Subclub, maybe a bit bigger than Subclub. But um, yeah, we decided that whenever we were doing it, the decks were going to be in the dance floor and the, the stage anybody could go up on the stage if they wanted to and stuff like that and then yeah started doing really well we um we probably the first few nights we done pretty well probably a good few hundred through the door and then we started trying to do bookings so uh we'd obviously brought liam doc up we bought the function guys up we knew like the function guys for a while hometown we brought hometown and i don't even know like hometown isn't even a thing anymore but it was basically lowry maca it was like all these guys in Edinburgh and we'd done a home and away leg with them. So we played Sneaky Pete's during the Fringe. Sneaky Pete's during the Fringe absolutely ran out the door. It was one in, one out. We get handed a big wad of cash at the end of the night. It was more money than I think any of us had ever seen in our life. It was mental. But yeah, we, we were booking all these people. We were doing... um. We got Finn, you know, like garage DJ, like extraordinaire from Manchester. We got Finn. He was, he was good. And then, yeah, from there, we'd done everything with a spittle, like, sort of thing. Obviously, we had all the garden parties. We'd had all of that. And then we brought out T-shirts. We'd sold, we'd sold about 100 T-shirts. But I've got one somewhere lying about. But we went through loads and loads of T-shirts. Yeah, it was like... That was when I talk about Aberdeen, I feel like I've always got like, sorry, I feel like I'm getting animated talking about it because it was just such, it was everything that I'd thought DJing was before I'd become involved in it. I thought it was like loads of people that wanted to do something for themselves. They were trying to, they didn't really give up, like the licensing laws in Aberdeen are fucked. Like you, like it's 2am a lot of the time and I feel like sort of people sort of went against that and that's why there was always the big beach after parties there was always all these big things in Aberdeen and that's what I felt like DJing was always meant to be it was always meant to be the youth sort of culture going up against like the I was I was being at a gaff at nine in the morning with all the windows shut playing dance music and stuff like that. that's where I always thought that DJing was meant to go in yeah a way. Oh my god, that sounds mental. <laughs> like, actually insane. So, obviously, like, from sounds of it, like, all these kind of afters and stuff you had and getting the chances to play at all these different gigs, do you think? Because of the atmosphere of Aberdeen, because, obviously, if their licenses laws are, like, two o'clock finishes and stuff and a lot of people move up there, like, obviously, like, you did for uni, do you think that kind of helped a lot with, like, how into people were like into the kind of clubbing scene yeah so one of the weirdest things about Aberdeen right see because it is quite a university say mm-hmm. like people go there there's two universities there's Robert Gordon and there's Aberdeen University so with those two see when it hits summer like Rory for we're rare he just stops doing nights like it's yeah. see when the term finishes nobody because everybody goes home everybody comes, comes back to Glasgow goes back to Edinburgh goes abroad nobody stays in Aberdeen so see staying in Aberdeen for those years it was the weirdest, obviously, 
um, there was festivals, so there was Cultivate. I DJed at Cultivate a few times, which is brilliant. Thousands of people there. It was brilliant. But during the summers, it was dead. But see when people were coming back, see when it was August, September time, people were raring to go. Like it was, the, the, I would say double capacity would show up every night for freshers. People would be getting turned away. That was just normal. People would be there an hour before kickoff waiting outside. And that was just normal. And I can remember um, one of the big, and it's these weird sentimental things that come back. I remember when um, it was one of the first freshers I'd been to. And we were sitting inside the club and we were like, fuck, has it got to be busy? We were having a wee drink in before, so we were just sitting in the club getting steaming. And we were like, fuck, it's, I'm nervous that nobody's got to turn up. And um, one of the bouncers come in and they were like, when are we going to start letting people in? And we were like, there's still half an hour to open. And he was like, have you seen the fucking queue outside? And we were like, no way. And we were outside and there was like a, there was a barrier up and we looked around and honestly, we couldn't see the end of the queue. It's, <laughs> it, it was It was so good. And then after COVID as well, like people were just raring to go and there was like everybody singing in the tunnel and stuff like that. And it's it's weird because we are t- have you ever been to Aberdeen? No, never. So in Aberdeen, the, the two main clubs are across the road from each other. Like and like you wouldn't know who's in the queue for what. It's unit 51 and it's tunnels. So um the, see on a busy night, there would be 1,500 people in this tunnel, just like waiting to get into each club. It was honestly, it was one of the, it was one of the most, it was one of the, I see it when I look back that everything seems bright and fun and exciting and do you know what I mean? Everything was, there was always, there was always something good coming in Aberdeen. There was always something yeah, exciting coming up. Very nostalgic. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you went to Aberdeen and then like, I just went like mental from there. So like, when do you think was a moment you kind of thought like, oh my God, this is like actually going really well? It was like a weird stage where, I mean, it was very kind of you to say that, that when did you get to the point where you thought this is it? <laughs> but um, there was a stage, I remember there was um, one of the big nights that Rare done was called Hell in a Cell or Rage in a Cage. It was one of them. We always used to make fun of it because it was either Rage in a Cage or Hell in a Cell. <laughs> but, um, and it was basically you know like um what do you call it not like fencing it was basically fencing around the decks there was there was like not that much room around the fencing and people would just stand around it shaking it like it would always be like people would be playing breakbeat techno and everybody would be and i can remember i was djing once and we were all absolutely sloshed like we did we probably didn't even know where we were where we were but we were like sitting djing it was like me josh and owen just standing behind the decks everybody pure shaking the barriers i can remember somebody being like there's somebody on top because we'd put a bat we'd put a fence on top as well and there was somebody like honestly like they were they had their foot there in my head when i was djing sorry that was a visual thing for the podcast listeners but <laughs> their foot was basically on my head because they'd been standing on the fence and above everybody was going mental and when you see videos of that night it's like I mean, I wouldn't want to get tunnels in trouble, but there was a lot of people in there that night. And it was, yeah. I think, when it was like, and I, 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 it was around that night that um, people like, and this just shows how insular Aberdeen is and how like, <laughs> but people were asking me for pictures. People were asking me and Josh, like, can we get a picture? <laughs> I'm like, mate, do you want me to take a picture? I thought they were like, can we get a picture? And I was like, aye, aye, give me your phone. And they were like, no, I don't mean you can, I'll take a photo. Yeah, I was like, oh, right, aye. I have a picture and obviously that was just melting. You know, I was sticking my finger up and pulling my top up and all that because I was like, what the fuck are these people wanting to do? Get a picture of me. I feel like you saying that is kind of, I'm saying that you made it, but like from the sounds of it, like you're doing really well. Like, well, obviously you're still doing well now, but like to start off and then just like go from there and just like do all these things and getting people like getting pictures of you as well. Would you think like that was like the thing that kind of, obviously you said you played at Buff Club before you went to Aberdeen, but do you think that one was the thing that kind of catapulted like 
Yeah, Aberdeen stuff. just felt Aberdeen just felt like you got any a, a streamline and mm-hmm. everything once you got to like see there was only maybe five of us that went in from that rare and some of them are still going about Callum Soldan he's DJing all the time obviously Josh he's DJing all the time um, in Aberdeen Owen he's moved down to Milton Keynes for a different job he doesn't DJ as much but it's like all of these people that get brought in by rare at that point where I've went on to do pretty well when it comes to DJing and I mean pretty well as in they've enjoyed DJing not pretty well as in they're making shit loads of money but that was a big thing at the time was just anybody that rare took under the wing they looked after and I feel like that's one of the things I actually wrote an article about this for I think it was on so for the Spill Selectors website we had a blog on it as well and I think um, on that blog I wrote a really like it was probably one of the most meaningful articles that I wrote and it was about how Rare had basically brought so many people together like it was impossible I think and I think the reason that I released it was because of Covid because when Covid happened I felt bad for all the first years that were coming up and didn't have somewhere to go meet because I think of where I would be if Rare wasn't a thing I would have still been sitting in that flat still trying to force fucking people that don't want to talk to me to have a drink with me and it's like these people Rory, uh, Church at the start, a guy called Ewan, like Ross Kirkwood's big brother, if you know Ross Kirkwood, his big brother was helping out a lot of the time. Uh, Christian, all these people, they sorted out so many people, not just the DJs, the punters. The, I know people that are rare couples. I, I, there's a lastie <laughs> that ended up having a kid. And I can remember she said it was a rare baby because they'd like <laughs> met it rare and stuff like that. And like, it's things like that, that that's why we started that night as well, because I felt like, it feels good to bring people together and it feels good to know that you've made your mark on something. Yeah, definitely. And Rare does sound like, also I spoke about that with Kirsty in the last episode as well, but Rare does like seem to have a wee hand in helping a lot of like people catapult their career into the DJing world a wee bit and definitely for you as well. And because from like what I've heard is that like in Aberdeen especially, Rare is like a big, big deal. Like people love it. So like getting the opportunity to do that and have the support of so many other DJs, like it must just mean so much to have the chance to do that. And that's like, as you said, like about COVID, why it is so sad that a lot of people haven't really got the chance to like kind of experience that as much because I think the reason why you had so many people getting so excited about coming to see you play like you know like actually like standing on top of you getting pictures with you stuff like that I think it's because maybe they came from like kind of smaller places maybe like maybe up north and this is their first time being in a place where like there's just clubs and clubs and they're just so excited by it and they got to meet so many new people and try it so many new things so it was quite sad to see like during COVID how that was just like not a thing like that was not happening either had your flatmates and if you didn't like them then sorry that's you you're fucked as you've spoke about as well about a lot about how like like DJ supporting DJs and stuff so I was gonna ask about about how I know you do stuff for like Project Radio like your on one series that you did where you got people to like submit mixes and stuff are you still doing that just now Nah, I decided, yeah. so one of the weird things with Project was, so they asked me to sort of step up and be their lead sort of uh, journalism. Like I'd done all the stuff to do with their writing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So when I started doing that and people started sending me more and more articles, I just thought like, see, uh, I know you're put, like doing this podcast, like you'll know it's not just fucking, you don't just talk to somebody and then no. that's it. It's like, there's, it melts my head even, see, even thinking about doing another on one episode that gives me chills. Because the way I used to do it was when I used to do the on one episodes. So I used to go to like, um, I've got like a recorder that I take everywhere, like a mic, a mic and recorder that I can take anywhere. It's like a wee USB recorder. It's pretty good. I love it. But um, I would take that to one of my mates' houses. I would get them to play one of the new songs and then I would ask them when they come up with it. Do you know what I mean? And we would, we, or we would go out to a pub 
and like I would sit and talk to them and we would just you could hear us getting mad where there was one and one of the um, episodes that I'd done this guy randomly started asking me where I got my jacket from and it was it was a fucking top man jacket and I was like no man I was like what no, no it was no what was it, it was he asked one of his like where, he got, where we got our tattoos or something and then um, Dan for test press just started talking to this guy about tattoos so obviously me being a steaming wreck I got like my my voice recorder and I like put it between them conversation about like <laughs> do you know what I mean I was just sitting listening to their conversation about where the tattoos got and I was like that needs to go on an episode because that's fucking hilarious <laughs> but it's like all of these good things and it meant a lot to me without it means a lot to me to try and help DJs because where I, where I wrote that article from, I was writing that article about how it was important that Rory helped us and Rory done all these things for us because it felt it made us feel like we were at home. It made us feel like we had a family when we were actually away from our families. And one of the things that I'm probably most proud of, not it sounds weird because I'm, I'm not trying to say that she wouldn't have got to where she was without me because she would have. She was like supremely talented and I thought she was one of the best DJs in Aberdeen anyway. But I remember... When um, Anna Barry, I was at an after party, I went party with Anna Barry, and um, I can remember going outside and phoning Rony Mass and at four in the morning because it was obviously an after party, and Rony was like, "Fucking, why the fuck are you phoning me?" Rony's a bit older than us. He's got a girlfriend. He's like pretty well put together now. He yeah. doesn't really do. He does sometimes does the four AM shots, but and I was like, "You need to get this lassie involved with her. She's called Anna Barry. She's so good, man. She's <laughs> class." And um. It makes me happy now that she, like Anna is because if I see videos of Anna, she's got the crowd chanting her name. She's got everybody going mental. She's got like, and I feel like I know what that feeling's like, and I'm happy that if I was even a small part in doing that for her, then that makes me probably happier than anything that I'm doing when it comes to DJing these days. Probably. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's like not just about you and like how your career's going. It's just seeing people that you know and just getting excited about how well they're doing as well because that's how what I was going to ask you about your stuff for Project Radio and on one is like how important you thought this kind of like togetherness and like the kind of support system like how important you thought it was like within like the DJing world especially in like places like Aberdeen and Glasgow so like yeah it's definitely like just really important to like kind of have that there and then just see people that you know kind of grow and you know thrive I guess so like would you say like it is like obviously really important to have something like that in place yeah so i would i think um if you were the guy that ran project radio he would probably say i was like spill selectors were probably the first people that were approached by project radio like as soon as it started like i remember here's a funny story that i don't know if you but i'll be very happy with this but <laughs> we were mad with once and we were sitting and we all stayed in a flat called fear lane right it was an absolute dive we had loads of after parties there as well so basically when me and my um flatmates Owen and Josh the guys that I've done spell selectors with we stayed down at the harbour I remember we were in there one night and somebody was like oh um would would you want to do a mix for something called project it wasn't even project radio at this point it was just project and they were doing like a selector series we were like yeah and then we realized that they had a clothing brand and we just we honestly had never heard of them before and we were like mad in the flat like that tell them we'll do a mix if they give us a t-shirt <laughs> and then this <laughs> this they sent us a t-shirt right and they sent us a t-shirt and we'd completely forgot about it. The t-shirt ended up getting sent back to Cuba at Project <laughs> because we just never went and picked it up. We'd done the mix for him and we were like, and he, would, he messaged them like, by the way, what what's the script? Did you not want the t-shirt? And we're like, fuck, we forgot you sent that. That's bad. We were too mad. We forgot we even asked for the t-shirt. But um, yeah, Project Radio has been like, I feel like through my whole university sort of life, Project Radio was a big part. Yeah, I, was, I, I used to do a bi-weekly show and then obviously 
when that kind of ran its course, I felt like I wanted to do something more on the journalism side. I'd done loads of articles. I'd interviewed people like Jordan Nocturne, Riot Code. I've interviewed like all of these sort of foreign DJs. And um, I was like, I want to do something that's a wee bit more in-depth that involves me going places talking to people and that's when i done the first um on one episode i done was for and it was meld i done like a meld showcase it's where i talked to david henderson and that one was amazing it was like all his new releases that hadn't even been hadn't seen the light of day yet and it was just like an hour where it was just that way him talking about what it was like starting meld and doing all these things it was, i don't know i'm like when you say i feel when you talk about when you spoke earlier about creativity and what what would you say as creative so obviously started with graffiti went into dj and started trying to produce and now i'm getting to the stage where the way i want to be creative is through writing and through sort of giving props to people maybe making some cool videos and like and you won't be the people in the podcast land won't be able to see this but adobe premiere for dummies <laughs> so i'm trying to do a bit more video stuff but yeah that's kind of where i'm at yeah. project radio has been a massive part of that they've always let me do whatever i wanted whenever i would message them the day before or the morning off because i'm still out in the past somewhere <laughs> but i'm like look mate i can't record a mix he'd be like fine he would get somebody at the time the mix was meant to go out you know what i mean is the project radio guys have absolutely smashed it and they've done so much for me yeah i I already have spoke about this a lot and i know it sounds like i'm gushing but like i don't think i can stress enough how important it is like stuff like radio and independent radio stations are for producers and djs like without them they're like not as many people would do as well like they're just so important for giving people a platform to just kind of show off their work and show what they're doing get connections and just show off their sound i think like people do don't underestimate these stations but probably take them for granted a wee bit like they just like that they're there but like if they they weren't there and you didn't have like these amazing teams behind them you know putting in the work and putting in the money and stuff to like um give people this platform then it probably wouldn't like be as nice a place to be a part of if these places weren't yeah. here and see the big thing with project radio i don't think that the biggest part of project radio is necessarily like if i was djing i don't think the biggest part of that is the amount of listeners because the listeners are, are good it's a lot better than when we started the project radio but i think that the big part is that see a lot of these djs that are messaging me being like look mate i've i've been practicing in my bedroom i'm trying to maybe get in i'm like right cool get your slot but what i've realized for getting in the slot is see when i tell them that they that they're yeah i'll be obviously i'll give you a slot like it's cool that you've messaged i listen to your mics it's banging a lot of the people get a lot of confidence from that like i got confidence when i was like when i was do, doing oh you know i done the very first all you need open decks night and that's what got me into buff club before i moved to aberdeen so it's like all these wee things that give djs confidence in themselves like project radio like maybe a bar gig every now and then all these things i think are like completely essential for the rise of a dj It's interesting you talking about um, how you're wanting to go more into like journalism and like maybe video making and stuff like that. So can you tell me a bit more about like what type of stuff you're wanting to do? So I think one of the biggest things, so if you see if you look on my Instagram page, one of the bits when there was like a few ads. So I think one of them still Spittle Selectors, which is hilarious because I've not done anything with them in ages. But I think it's Spittle Selectors and then one of them's called Cooler Heads. My idea for Cooler Heads and I've still kind of 
I feel like I've just been procrastinating so much, but I've got like made an Insta, I've done all that sort of stuff. I've done all that sort of stuff, I've made an Insta. <laughs> but um, it was always the idea that I would just do like wee five minute interviews and the format would always be really similar each time. So it would be a lot of the same questions, a lot of the same, and it would just be basically a wee sort of character, um, a wee character piece into individual people. So like the amount I've spoken about Rory this episode, I always thought it would be cool to do one with Rory. It would be cool to do one with like, bouncers at sub club it would be cool to do things like that and um i've always all the um all the sort of album covers that i've made from my tunes i made them and they're all quite trippy wee things you know what i mean they're not in metal it's all just layering and stuff in photoshop but yeah it's like i said it's i, I still love djing i still love playing to crowds but it, i realized that at some point maybe it took a bit of a dive so even i realized that i liked listening to other music more than dance music which i'd been doing for years i was like Maybe I'm starting to not love it as much. I still love, like I said, when I'm DJing, I love it, but it's everything around DJing. It's the, you go out DJing and you stay out for two days, which I know people think it's not a big deal, but it happens. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I always say that DJs don't get paid because of the tunes they play. They get paid for danger money for the amount of the time that they stay out after. Yeah yeah <laughs> that's very true i know like i remember the first time i dj'd like fuck like live like oh i've never been that drunk in my life man and i was like is this it like is this what my life's gonna be like that was my entire aberdeen existence yeah. just going out on a thursday and getting in a sunday afternoon that's it but i think that's kind of the fun of it but i do kind of see the burnout as well because like it is fun but when you're doing it all the time it's like fuck like i'm gonna end up like killing myself you do get into that thing where you're like when i was in aberdeen as well it was one of those ones where i was going out and djing on a thursday night i was like right that's fine uh tomorrow's all night passion no um tomorrow will be some random night in tunnels um saturday will be all night passion then Sunday I'll get a takeaway. And that was kind of the, that was a go-to. Whether or not I slept between any of them was for the birds, but it was one, do you know what I mean? Like, um, I would, it was, it was one of those ones where I think I'm happy COVID happened when it did because it saved my university career. (laughs) Yeah. Finally got to get some studies in, I know. I know you've already spoke about some of the venues you played at, like, you know, up in Aberdeen and like in Edinburgh, like Sneaky Peaks. But where are some... Of the other places that you played and loved? So I've probably, I've DJed in Sub Club, Luchita, Tunnels, uh, The Shack, which is a kind of weird niche club in Aberdeen that's, that was a bit Optimal played it. Everywhere I go, Optimal seem to play, coincidence. <laughs> but um, Optimal played it and then Unit, I played at Unit. Unit was one of those experiences where Unit's probably about, I could make, make an absolute fool of myself saying the wrong number here, but I feel like it's about 900,000 capacity. And like I'd played to it when it was like like sold out after Cultivate, do you know what I mean? And it was like, it, some of those experiences were mental seeing like just standing in front of you, people are recording you. It's one of those, you know, when you see in videos when you're standing um, when the DJs and you're looking in front and all you can see is just like wee white spotlights because it's smoke yeah. machines and then the <laughs> video cameras. I've had experiences like that, I've done. But then like on the flip side that, and I want to say that's just for any, DJs that are listening to this. I've had the flip side of that. I've been buzzing to, I was buzzing to play sub club my entire life. I'd been like, like I said, I've been sneaking in when I was 17. First night we played it, middle exams, shut by one o'clock. Oh. And it was like one of those ones, honestly, I could have crawled, I could have crawled into a hole and never come out. <laughs> it was one of those like we were having, I remember that night actually. Um I went back to an after party 
with Matthew Perry and Maka and stuff like that. Dennis Sullivan was there and he gave me some really nice words because I was obviously a bit gutted and like we went out onto the balcony and we were smoking fags and he was like, he gave me some really nice things about like, oh fuck it, you'll come back, you'll, you'll play Subby again. It's not about right now, do you know what I mean? Like you maybe want to be ready to play it. And it was really nice. He didn't need to do that. And it was one of those, yeah, it's, that's another one of those things. You realise that, all these people that are, I mean, there is some RC DJs, everybody knows RC DJs, but some of the people that are around that are in positions that people would see as like envious or like, I want to be like that. They're all just normal people. Dennis Salter was at my flat down at the harbour when the police kicked us all out and he was still standing there like, what the fuck is going on? And he left wherever every day and it was like, all of these, these, those are all the moments you remember when somebody's being nice to you that you were like, fuck, you don't need to be nice to me right now. Yeah. I mean, you can just sit in there and have a drink with your mates, but no, you're asking me if I want to go out for a fag and then being really nice to me when we're standing outside. Yeah, yeah, well, that's kind of, it's interesting you bring that up because that's kind of one of the reasons I kind of wanted to start this whole thing is because I feel like maybe people see DJs sometimes as just this kind of like, you know, masked figures behind the decks. Like, it's quite nice to just kind of see what they're actually like and just see that they are just like people, do you know what I mean? With like struggles, who have like been through stuff and like, it didn't all just happen overnight for people and like they are just like normal people just living their lives you know so like it's nice to hear that about Dennis all just giving you those words of advice being like it's all right but that's the other thing as well is like you're never always gonna have like pure packed out sold out gigs like I think that's gonna become kind of the the overarching theme of this podcast for everyone I'm gonna interview is like it's not always amazing (laughs) it's not always like pure class like gigs and sets you're getting like you're gonna get the shit one where like you're performing to like two people in the back who have no interest in you aren't only there because their pals playing after you it's never gonna be like amazing i've i've had probably i mean because all the times in aberdeen i wouldn't say it's been 50 50 but i've had a good amount of those times i've had a good amount of the times where i'm like wasn't a dj wasn't a dj wasn't a dj start djing i'm like here do i just hop on and i go to the shop and get a kebab (laughs) do you know what i mean like i've had i've had a few of them and i've had a few of the ones where you're dodging the promote like when we were doing our spell selectors nights there was a few times where um one of the guys that runs tunnels are like books so if you've done enough promo will it be busy and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah, it'll be 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 round nobody turns up and the full night i'm just sitting hiding behind the decks dodging the promoter so that it doesn't slap me about <laughs> well, that's on him. You should have promoted better. No, I'm getting on. <laughs> shouldn't have booked us. <laughs> if we wanted a busy, if we wanted a busy night, you shouldn't have booked us. Oh my god, I know. I just think, um, like, you can never like predict these things. Like, I've been to like, well, not played as much, but I've been to things where I'm like, it's gonna be dead. Like, it's gonna be shite. Like. It's going to be about two people there, like a pure camouflage going out, but my pal pure wants to go or whatever. And then you go and it's like actual rammed and you're like, the fuck, how did this happen? It just like depends on the time and the place. And other nights where like people pure hype up and it's like going to be this big, big thing and you get there and you're like, oh shit, like there's like no one here. Like you're like, oh no. You get the, you get like the weird middle ground with those sort of nights as well. Like I've had nights, well, I've, for instance, the Lachita night with me and Kirsty that you were there. It wasn't mm-hmm. that busy, but it was bouncing. Like everybody was, yeah. do you know what I mean? And it's it's weird nights like that that like you don't care if there's only forty people there. See if it looks see from the DJ decks, the busy night. It doesn't matter if there's twenty five people there. See when you're behind the decks and you look out and you can't see that much space. Even if behind them there's it's fucking no man's land and there's, do you know what I mean? You could get a taxi if you want to end of the yeah. dance call or the other. But um, if that's if it's if you think it's busy and everybody's bouncing a bit enjoying themselves, then it does it does make up for it. 
yeah exactly that's it as long as the people who are there are loving it and like who fucking cares how many people are there well that's the thing about Latrice as well because like I made a habit of like it's probably gonna happen again when Rare opens back up but like then the last year like I was just there every fucking Tuesday man like and like there was times you go there and they'd be like so busy and then other times it would be dead and I remember the first, like one time I went with my pal I, she'd never been before she'd never even been at Latrice and I pure hyped up I was like oh it's great like I love it I'm always there I'm gonna go and it was like dead but like she still had like the best night because like even though it was so quiet everyone was like pure like and uh, like just like and the yeah. music like right up at the decks like having a good time she was like she's not even into like that sort of music but she was like high-fiving the djs like fucking like having a great time and i was like you know what like this is all right like i think that's a good thing about the, that sort of thing is like as long as like the people are sound and like you're having a good time like that's all that matters that's everything you need the one thing that i would say as well to any djs that are sort of kicking off as well is don't be angry at the crowd that are there for the crowd that you've got so see if there's 20 people there I've known DJs that are like, it's fucking dead. What's the point in this? What's the point? I'm like, you do realise that the only people you're negatively affected come out to see you. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, you need to, you, if you, you need to play for the people that are there. You should be buzzing that those 20 people are there. Good. It would be good if there was a hundred more people there, but then that's not their issue. Exactly. If it's MD's issue, it's the promoter, it's the DJ, it's not the punters. So see if you're like, I'm, I've, I don't know if I gave you any drinks, but my whole big thing when I'm behind the decks is I'll just give, like, if I've got a rider and I'm not getting through it as quickly as I thought, yeah. I'd be like, right, you can have a half bottle of vodka, <laughs> yeah. you can have, do you know what I mean? I just pass it out because I'm like, who fucking cares? It's like the people that are there are the people that are giving you a good night. So exactly. You can try and give them a good night. No, I'm glad you didn't give me a drink that night, man. If you did, I'd fucking have died in the middle of the floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, that's the thing, like, that is exactly like, because like you should be lucky you're even fucking playing like up there like there's so many people who like are in their bedroom like fucking pining for gigs like wanting to play behind the deck so fucking bad they're not getting a chance like you should just be happy that you're even fucking doing it do you know what I mean like so like who cares how many people are there like you're gonna have to play it either way just play your tunes and have a good time and get drunk I think that's the best thing you just spoke about venues you played but like whereabouts would you like to play in the future I think the only place that I would, I like, I've played Cab Vol as well. Cab Vol was good. The, I think the two places that I'd like to play, when I played Cab Vol, I played the cafe. Mm-hmm. So I think the two that I'd like to play is probably downstairs in Cab Vol or, I mean, the big one's Berkeley. I'm mm. kind of dying to play Berkeley Suite just because that's like the only one out of the three clubs. Seeing as Flat One isn't a thing anymore, the only oh. places that I actually care about is like Berkeley, Sub Club, and Lachita. And I've done Sub Club and Lachita. So Berkeley would be one I'm trying to. I'm still trying to fucking kiss up to the Celeste guys enough. That, so. Yeah, they're in fucking mental man. Are they not playing at Berkine? Are they? I think not so. When they surprise me. No, I know, like, well, yeah, I know you spoke about all the places you played, but I've actually played at Berkeley Suite. And I can okay, say. I would swap it all. I would swap it all to be you. <laughs> and I can say, like, it was fucking class. It was so good. It's like, um, for anyone who's listening who maybe isn't, like, familiar, I don't even know how you'd explain it. It's just like, we spoke about it a bit last week with Kirsty, but just very red velvet you know fish tanks big staircases like um like fucking weird tellies on the stairs and shit like that but just like it's just the way it's laid out like it's just a fucking class club to play at like because everyone's just surrounding you and they're like just right up and they're fucking loving it you've got like your wee glass um case over the booth and you're just like hi guys how we doing like actually feel like royalty or something like that when you're playing people people would like slag me if i didn't mention that um a big thing like in my life is obviously i've said earlier i work in pets at home so i always 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 had like fish tanks 
I've like kept fish. <laughs> I'm like love fish. I can remember when I went into Berkeley Suite and I was like, oh my god, there's a fucking fish tank in here. I was like, this is like my calling. I just need to be here. I was like, I need to play here and I need to get a picture in front of this fucking fish tank. Just for the fish. Um, just for the fish. I'm like, fuck the people. Don't really care. <laughs> Nobody will come anyway. <laughs> no, that was the one thing I was worried about during COVID was those fucking fish. I was like, where are they? Are they getting fed still? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck knows. I mean, I would, I would have put myself forward to be their caretaker. Yeah. <laughs> You definitely would. You'd be like, oh, come on, just come stay in pets at home for the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, outside of um, Scotland, is there any places that you'd want to play at? Uh, do you know what? I've, I think if you'd have caught me a few years ago, I would have been really interested in trying to get out of Scotland and try to do all these things. But like I said, I think my sort of my aims have changed a wee bit. I mean, mm. I like, I've been to Warehouse Project, I've done like all, I've been to the Watergate in Berlin, I've done it all, I've done all, been to all these places, I've loved them. Like, if, if, I would say one place, Watergate was pretty cool. I mean, I can't see a reality where I get to fucking play a set in the Watergate, but the Watergate downstairs, obviously upstairs, it's got the, the pan pot boiler room, everybody knows it. It's got the LED lights all across the ceiling. It's pretty cool, but the downstairs bit, it's like fucking so chilled out. It's like just windows on one side. It, put, it looks on a big Universal uh, Studios logo. We were there till the sun started to come up. It's amazing. It was better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not. It's one of those ones. I just need Berkeley Suite. Fuck yeah, it. that's need, it. Uh, if if Celeste are playing Bergen, I'll just fucking jump in and take their spot. Aye. Berkeley Suite. <laughs> I just take over for the week. I think they'll appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> so now you're more more interested in like maybe going to like clubs as like a punter more than a DJ now. Would you say? Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's one of those ones. I like um, I like just going out and seeing other DJs as well. Things like when I went to Celeste and Sub Club, I was fucking blown away. Like they sold out sub club. Sub club doesn't get sold out anymore. Do you no. know what I mean? It's like when I was growing up, when I was growing up, I sound like a fucking coffin dodger, but it's like <laughs> when I was growing up, it was like sub like sub club was sold out no matter what night of the week it was. Tuesday I am first, Thursday Thunder Disco, Friday Return to Mono, Saturday Subculture. All of these nights were sold out. But now it's not like that anymore. I feel like Sub Club, as, as much as I love it as an institution, I feel like it's not doing what it used to do. No. It, it's not pulling the same sort of weight and sort of cultural heft that it used to. Yeah, no, maybe, I do agree. Maybe like... me saying that's okay. I mean, blacklisted for the Sub Club. <laughs> no, we probably shouldn't be saying this, but like, I love Sub, like, I love Subby. Subby is amazing. I had like, Subby was where I had like my pure like moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. I fucking love it. But like, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe because of COVID or like maybe because some like other places are popping up, maybe they're not pulling the same crowd they used to, but that's not saying that they're not like still class, but you know, like it is like fun to kind of see these kind of newer like club nights and like obviously because all Celeste are like, I think, is it Glasgow Uni they're from? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. I know that they're all kind of based out in the West End. So. Yeah, so like I think just seeing these kind of like new club nights like kind of rise up that is really exciting to see so it's quite fun to see like subby kind of have a moment like that because like not to say it's a bad thing but they usually don't like they usually kind of stick to what they know like you know like they kind of yeah. usually book the same nights same people so it's nice to see like kind of feel like we're kind of going through a wee bit of a renaissance period right now post yeah, no, like i said I, I love i love all, all you need like all you need mm-hmm. have gave me so much like a xander dobby the graham the, they, they're like they're absolute menches i love them all and um the them having the all you need xl is mm-hmm. brilliant for Subby, do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's 
the day that we were recording this, I think this Friday is it? No, Thursday. This Thursday is their um, uh, residence bash in Subby. So like a lot of the people that will be playing that will have never played in Subby before, and I just think it's so good. Like again, it's like I said, it's um, DJs looking at for DJs. Definitely, that's that. I feel like um, out of all the kind of creative outlets you can have, um, DJing definitely has like the most supportive backers. To be honest, like yeah, I'd say so. People are never going to judge you unless they're like pure snobby, then they're not even worth it. But like yeah. the sound ones, they're just going to help you and like support you as much as you can. And like they're not going to judge you. You know what I mean? Like because they were there at one point as well. Like um, like how I got my start was like after from like doing Buena Vida, like Radio Buena Vida, Polka Dot Disco Club, like Frankie and um, Josette contacted me and they were like, hey, do you want to play at Berkeley Street? I was like, what the fuck are you actually being serious? Like, what? And then like from there, like, um, because like, obviously I think they were really good at kind of like nurturing like kind of new DJs and stuff. And like, I was shit myself because I just assumed like all DJs were like, just there for themselves and they pure were just like gonna like pure look down on anyone who was new and like pure judgy if like you know your mix wasn't right or whatever but yeah they were so sound and I was just like oh shit like it just gave me a lot of like confidence and like just made me relax so much and like stop being so anal about like what I was doing thinking this is shit like people are gonna hate this like honestly like they're probably just gonna like it just because you're enjoying yourself and like you're like liking what you're doing I think that's all that matters and like if they can see that then like they're gonna love it too I think that's definitely a thing for like any new DJs listening or anyone who's like maybe like a bit paranoid about their DJ and like honestly like people are gonna be there for you and people are gonna look out for you so so you need to yeah I think I think um do you know or me like Sean Goldie Mm -hmm. so um he put out a thing the other day being like oh what um advice would you give to DJs that were kicking out or whatever and a big thing that I thought is like one see if you make a mistake there's about three other people in the room if 200 people that all know that you've made the mistake yeah. right which sounds it, it makes djing sound pure trivial and a bit of an easy thing to do right but it's true if you admit if you fuck up for two seconds and you're like oh my god it's not time it's not time it's not time nobody's got to realize right so don't worry about that there's been times where i remember djing at tunnels i was playing um scott brown now's the time classic hard house slammer so i was playing that and um, I went to mix in and I tuned, boom, press the stop button. So there's 500 people in front of me, stopped to tune instead of playing the tune that I had loaded up. And I, looked, I sat there and I froze for a second. And then the whole crowd just started going, yes, because they thought I meant to turn the song <laughs> off as like a sort of hype thing. And I was like giving it back to them, like, yes, this is well good. I'm like, fuck, I don't know what to do now. So I just done a big wheel back to like the last drop and played it again. And it, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. All these things are, all these things, you, you realise after you've DJed for a while that the crowd want you to succeed. The crowd don't want to come to a shit night. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, they'll give you a bit of, they'll give you a bit of leeway when you need it. Yeah. Like, I think that's, um, the crowd are on your side. Like, they're there to like have a good time. Like, unless again, they're fucking wanks. Like, they're going to be there for you and they're going to enjoy it either way. And like, that's a good point you bring up as well about how like DJing for a while, like, you learn to adapt and like roll with the punches. So, like, if something like that happens and like, fuck it, like, use it to your advantage, fucking wheel it back, play the last drop and just like keep it going. Like, that's all that matters, really. Like, just as long as the crowd are loving it, then like, who fucking cares? Like, no one's going to remember. Everyone's too drunk to even fucking know going on to be honest so you're fine you're too drunk to know what's going on yeah exactly (laughs) going forward I know you spoke about how like maybe you're not like going away from DJing but like you're focusing on other things but like what are your plans for the future in the world of DJing in the world of DJing I think 
I'm probably going to make a bit of a shift to what I've realised that I've enjoyed is. So obviously Maka and the Test Press guys and um, Lowry, they started putting in for a studio that's down next to the Clyde. And um, I had my decks in there for a while. So um, they were doing a lot of, like, we were in making tunes till one in the morning, just getting drunk listening. And I've, I think that's kind of where I see me enjoying myself more is going and sitting with producers and trying to make tunes with them and try to do things like that. Because I feel like DJing, sounds bad but I feel like I absolutely treated myself with Aberdeen and mm-hmm. see now there's always a weird thing where I'm like oh this is amazing but how good would tunnels be how good would tunnels I'm like we see when see when you start to get into the mindset like that then it's probably time to either move back to Aberdeen or or, <laughs> or slow it down a bit yeah I feel like that sounds really cool like having like a kind of space because I feel like that's good to have a kind of creative area just to kind of motivate you a wee bit more I guess as well like because like producing and doing stuff in your bedroom is like fine it's class but like after a point it's like kind of like just oh, can't be fucked man like you're actually sitting in your bed doing the same stuff where you sleep like I think that's the same with everything but yeah and that's space where you just want to like collaborate with more people and that yeah so like it's, it's but to be honest with you it's I only want to collaborate with my pals like yeah. so you're just sitting with sitting with test press and making a tune with dan me and dan sitting in the studio for 10 hours at a time making tunes or me and maca sitting making a wee french house edit till stupid o'clock and like me and Lowry, he came up to he brought some of his hardware and we were just sort of making tunes and and it's like i'm that's what i miss i think i'll i've already spoke to those guys about doing that again but i think that's a sort of big thing that i want to get back to in the future definitely that sounds really good to be fair just like fucking about your pals and just making some good tunes so like cheeky self promo time now tell the people any stuff you've got coming up in the future that they should be aware of i know that i'm djing with talkless i think that's maybe the 15th of august i'm djing with the talkless guys i'm actually going back to back with previous guest on the podcast um kushti so i'm going back to back with her so i'm buzzing for that she's she's the absolute she's the best she like i messaged her being like by the way, um, they asked me if I wanted to go back to back. I'm not sure if they said to you first. And they were like, yeah, it's fine. Because I was like, <laughs> fuck, would she even want to DJ with me? But I was like, yeah, I've done it before. So I'm um, looking forward to that. Um, I'll probably DJ in Aberdeen. I always end up DJing in Aberdeen. I was DJing in Aberdeen a few weeks ago. So yeah, probably at some point in Aberdeen. I mean, as soon as Rare Tuesdays come back, I can guarantee that I'll be playing there, what, twice a month or whatever. Um, what else? Bar gigs, fucking Tabac. I'm always DJing Tabac, the best pub in Glasgow. My favourite place in the world. Um, come there. Um, but yeah, the one thing I would say is try to support local DJ nights. Try to support, like, instead of maybe going in, as much as I love subculture, see if there's a night that you think might be struggling, but you're like, do you know, I actually know that some of these tunes are good. I know these guys are good. Maybe try to go to that and support them because they'll be paying money for a booking fee. They'll be doing all this stuff where they might not make money at the end and there's nothing more demoralizing than i've been there when you're putting on nights and you're like fuck we made a fiver we can split this and we can get some frills at the chip shop do you know what i mean there's nothing more demoralizing than that at the end of the night yeah so just support your local djs and then also look out for blair and aberdeen wondering about probably that's it yeah <laughs> that sounds about right that sounds like my last five years so now for recommendations obviously we've had some lovely ones from Kirsty last week but I would like to ask you for some recommendations too if you're okay with that so I mean I've mentioned quite a lot of the stuff on like my recommendations are going to be a wee bit ski with because I think that, like a lot of the music I listen to at the moment is like um 
more rock based so mm. listen to Billy Bragg if you've never listened to Billy Bragg listen to Squeeze if you've never listened to Squeeze What's one track that you've been loving recently? I think recently the biggest track that I've been enjoying is probably Melee 2 by Bicep obviously the story behind it I remember I think when they put it on their Instagram I thought it was really interesting when they released Isles Isles was obviously Isles is a masterpiece everything Bicep have ever done has been a masterpiece but when they released Isles they released a tune called Melee 1 and it was a sort of synthy, there was no drums behind it, it was just a sort of instrumental version. And what I thought was interesting was they, when they released Melee 2, they spoke about how they could never find the drums for it right. And it was, it played in them, they took their laptops with them everywhere they were doing. And then one day they just stumbled across it. And I was watching, yeah, again, looking through Optimo's videos on their Instagram, classic. But I was looking through Optimo's videos and, um, they posted a video from a festival they were at and I was like, what is that tune? That was like probably a month ago or whatever. Bicep commented on it, I was like, this is a new bicep tune. And then it was Melly 2. Melly 2, it's one of those ones I've not, I've not DJ'd really recently, but if next time I'm out, I'll be absolutely playing that until the blooming real cows come home. What's one song that you just like love to play? There's a song called Tony the Vet, Don't Ever Stop. And it's like, I think I played it the night that you earlier. It's like a really, it's from 1997. It's like a weird sort of happy, hardcore, hard house. It's really like in your face. It's got a lot of like weird stabs and stuff like that. And it's got a wee cheesy vocal that's in it as well. That's something I've been playing all the time. And it's, I can't remember the last time I've been playing this set. One Trick Pony, yeah, again. Who is a DJ slash producer that you think everyone should be listening to? I think a DJ that everybody should be listening to because I don't think he gets enough props is Mummy Barry Rooney. His DJ name is BRRY. Always does Radio Buena Vida. Always does, um, you still always do nights in Club 69. Uh, he's got a few nights coming up broadcast. He's really pally with the talk less guys. Barry's been like my best mate since we were what, 14. So he's been my best. He was the person that like we started DJing together. We went to the first All You Need Open Decks night together. We never knew. So the big thing with All You Need Open Decks night is you need to bring two USBs. We didn't have two USBs because we didn't know that, that was a thing because it was the first night. So we took each of our USBs and played back to back. So that was like that was like at the very start before I'd done Aberdeen, before I'd done anything. And then we got our first gig in Glasgow from that night, Boxing Day and Buff Club. It was like things like that. Old I think of it all the time. And then producers, we've got like I mean Mac and Lowry, fuck I don't need to talk about them, they're smashing at the moment. But there's so many people in Glasgow that's that are sort of coming up at the moment. But I think Mac and Lowry, they're putting out some really good stuff that sounds like it's been about for a while, even though it's pretty new. I like it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me, Blair. This has been a lovely wee chat we've had. And yeah, everyone should look out for you and also support some local DJs as well. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I think that like if, after everything I've done with Project Radio I think doing things like this is so essential to help the scene and I think what you're doing I know how much time it takes and I know how much a bastard it can be from time to time so yeah thanks for what you're doing and I hope I was a good guest and oh thank you you're an amazing guest
So there we have it, another wonderful episode of Slick Superior done and dusted. I had a lovely, lovely time talking to Blair and I hope you've had an equally lovely time listening to it. If you want to find Blair on anything, his SoundCloud is BlairSF, quite easy to find. And his Instagram is BlairFult, which is B-L-A-I-R-F-U-L-T. And he promotes a lot on there with stuff he's got coming up and as he said already he has got a lot of stuff coming up in the next few months like Rare coming back and all that good stuff so yeah make sure you check him out and I'll speak to you all again next week thank you for listening I've been Gloss goodbye